Hello and welcome back to the Hulkcast 117 episodes and I'm delighted to have joining me today, Daniel Raza. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing well, mate. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> well, good. Uh, glad to have you on, mate. Uh, so what have you been doing recently? Could you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you said, my name is Daniel Raza. Um, I like to describe myself as a sports journalist or a broadcast journalist. I don't I don't really know um, where I quite put myself on the... Um, <laughs> on on the on the things so to speak um but basically what i've been doing for the last few years is i've been broadcasting sports shows on community radio and tv stations currently doing a show called sports talk on a channel called british muslim tv um and it's always been a focus on on loads of different sports actually not just football not just uh boxing not just the mainstream sports just kind of try to look at all the different stories which are going on but uh, I'm a Villa fan at heart, and it's always good to uh, have a good little focused conversation on him. Yeah, of course, man. A big Villa fan, I hear. That's why we've got you on today. Where did your support start, Daniel? So I started watching in about, I'd say, 2005. Uh, basically, my dad was a Villa fan. Uh, so obviously, uh, that's how most people end up finding their clubs. Um, you're sort of born into it. Uh, I remember watching them during the time of David O'Leary, essentially. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember just really, really wanting David O'Leary to get sacked uh, <laughs> because we were going through like an awful time, yeah. close to relegation. Uh, I remember for a short period of time, I might have, as a as a little kid, decided to watch a little bit of Barcelona instead. Uh, but then Martin O'Neill came in and times were high. Yeah, man, well, who can blame you for watching Barcelona? But those uh, Martin O'Neill days certainly were. We're touching Champions League, weren't we? Good memories. Yeah. Really good memories of that. But um, things haven't been going so well really recently, have they, Daniel? I mean, how has this season went for you as a, in your Villa support? It's an odd one uh, because I started off thinking, even with all the players that we've signed, where I, I just can't see us getting promoted automatically. Uh, I, I've been thinking that we might just touch on the playoff places. Our form over the last few weeks showed that clearly we are one of the best teams in the league. Uh, we can batter teams like Norwich. We can score goals. And there's a side of me which, which thinks that perhaps if we can keep these kinds of runs of form going, uh, we might be up there at the end of the season. But it's been a roller coaster. As soon as we hit any sort of form, as soon as we start scoring a few goals, we see performances like we did yesterday. And uh, the players don't really turn up and the consistency is lost. And that's the one thing really which has been the key theme this season consistency uh, speaking of consistency and summing up villa it's almost a year well it's around a year to the day since we hired steve bruce what were your thoughts at the time when we hired him as manager of villa look bruce is a good manager he's he's done good things at clubs especially in the championship at this level uh he's, he did well with Hull city he's done well with birmingham city i'm, I'm not afraid to say that uh we've seen him do well at uh i think he did pretty well at wigan uh, if I remember quite, if I remember correctly, Bruce is a is the sort of manager you need at this level. We we saw Di Matteo come in. He, he didn't really, uh, he didn't really make much of an impact. He wasn't used to the championship. Same with a lot of the managers that we brought in over the last few years. We brought in Tim Sherwood, for example, who uh, had some positives to say for himself, but at the same time had never really been in that kind of struggle that Villa were in. We needed a manager who's been in the wars before, and I think Steve Bruce was a wise choice uh, in that he's been there before and there's not really a lot of managers who you can pick out who have been successful in these situations. Oh, do you feel any different now, a year on, as to you, as you felt when we hired him? I think I've had a little bit of a love-hate relationship with uh, with Steve Bruce, but honestly, I don't I don't see any reason to, to let go of him. I, I do think that Steve Bruce is still the right man for the job. Uh, there's not many managers I, I can look around at and think, yeah, he can he can do the job. What what a lot of people kind of throw out is a lot of the sort of sexy foreign names. Do you know what I mean? A lot of the managers like, you know, so for example, not Norwich City bringing in somebody like Daniel Farker. Wolverhampton Wanderers with their manager, you know, they've come in and done a good job, but it's always going to be a risk, right? It might work, but it may not. So you had a lot to say about the inter- international break, didn't you, Daniel? Yeah, for me, this was one of the best international breaks Well, of all yeah, time. a lot of people kind of... There's been a lot of hate against international football recently. I mean, as Villa fans, you can feel that because 
you know, you go on a good run, then a, a crop of games come up that you might frankly not care about. I mean, if you're an England fan, you kind of qualifications almost given sometimes. Well, we see teams failing that when they think it's a given. But yeah, um, I mean, the interest really isn't there because we don't have anyone who's playing for the England team. We don't have anyone on a big international stage. I mean, credit to Wales and Ireland who have a massive Villa contingent and we'll come on to them in a bit. But um, the interest just isn't there for Villa fans. I mean, the the break comes up and it seems that it ruins us. And I think that's where the hate comes from, maybe. I don't know. I like Okay, I think when when you look at it in in that respect, yeah, okay, so... If if Villa um, were on that fantastic run and the international break didn't come along, perhaps against Wolves they would have carried that momentum into it. Yes, it might have had an effect on them. Fair enough. I understand that point of view. But then at the same time, we're seeing our players play so much in the league that you know we're, we're so used to seeing Villa struggle as well. It's not always a happy story. Maybe it's nice to take that break, have a look at the game of football itself, right? Dissect it for the beautiful game that it is. And... Look at some of the other stories. Look at some of the other underdog stories, which we as British people like, you know. And I think uh, one thing that perhaps does go against the, the international break is that watching England is a, do- is a lot like watching Aston Villa. <laughs> so yeah, you kind of got to try and find that interest for the other teams. Of course, mate. Of course, mate. Well, it was a really dramatic international break. I mean, we have quite a lot of US listeners and they'll be heartbroken um, at the way their team, you know, tried to... Well, it's a bit disrespectful to our old Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, some of their media commentators were comparing them to San Marino, which is oh, <laughs> quite Lord. absurd. Um, yeah, so they got knocked <laughs> out. And uh, it's a summer on the couch, which is kind of, it's deserved. I mean, if you don't qualify, you don't deserve to qualify, do you? That's the that's what these qualifiers are. If you're not deserving of a place, you're not going to get one, are you? But yeah. um, I'd like to ask you what your big story is. I thought there's a lot of big stories, actually. But Daniel, what one single story took the uh, the cake for you? I think I think always having a look at Iceland, you know, at that small island with a population of, I think it's something like three hundred thousand, making it to a World Cup, and we we see teams like England struggle, and they did struggle. I I I do personally believe that, yeah. right? If we if we'd have, uh, for example, not taken those wins, which were which were sort of close matches in the last couple of games, it could have been difficult for us. And and you look at teams like Netherlands not making it through. Yet a team like Iceland dominates their group and makes it into the World Cup. I mean, listen to this, James. Uh, we've got Panama and Iceland in a World Cup, and the Netherlands and USA aren't in one. Can you imagine a World Cup where that scenario happens? It's ridiculous. Well, people were taking the, the piss out of the expanded World Cup because Iceland and Panama would be able to get in, and now they're in the quote unquote yeah. real World Cup with 32 teams. So, yeah, incredible. Given. Nothing really happy. International really football, happy. This, this is this is it. You know, you 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 perform over a certain period of time. You've get you've got teams who don't quite have that passion. We as English fans, right? I don't think we have the same sort of passion as teams like Iceland. When you say passion, one of the things I think about now is, do you remember maybe two thousand and six and two thousand and two and two thousand and ten? How you'd always see England flags like every every tournament, like in in the little car on the side of the cars, like, hanging out the window. Mm. You'd see, you don't see that anymore. I think as a nation, we've come to not expect anything from England. We just come to kind of revel in the disappointment of the whole thing. Yeah, and you know what part of that is? I think that there's been a lot more rivalry when it comes to when it comes to domestic sides. You know, I, I like I I don't know if this is true, but it, it feels like it is sometimes. Uh, Arsenal fans don't necessarily want to see Harry Kane do well. You know, uh, you've got. Uh, Liverpool fans who may not necessarily want to see Marcus Rashford do well. There's there's so much of that sort of domestic competitiveness going on that there isn't really that sort of love for the international team as it is. But when I look at the England team, there is serious talent there, and I think it is just a case of you know trying to get a bit more positive press back on them. Yeah, I see what you're saying about um, competition at a domestic level, but especially um, we used to have a lot of rivalries going on on the international stage. I mean, England versus Argentina, for example, and England versus Germany. It doesn't seem like that ferocity is there on an international level. Maybe we've distilled it down to a club or domestic level. Yeah, perhaps. And I think the other thing is um, perhaps with the amount of international friendlies that we have with these teams, we perhaps don't appreciate it when we do have the competitive matches. Uh, And the only thing that I don't quite understand uh, is the amount of times or how 
England consistently don't uh, make it through in these high pressure situations. That that is why that I think that's why that love of the game is gone because we've seen it with Aston Villa, right? So we understand how it is, right? When you consistently see your team get to those kinds of stages and constantly bottle it, how can you have that passion? How can you get excited for it? That that is essentially the yeah. the the bones of it, isn't it? And every story is the exact same. You know, you, we read stories and we indulge in narratives to be surprised and be entertained. But if it's the ending's going to be the same every time, what's the point? Yeah, but, yeah, right? but you know, James, when when it comes to it, and England have a quarterfinal or have a semi final against Germany in a World Cup at some point, it won't be expected, and we're going to be celebrating. And that's that's yeah. what's going to happen at the end of the day. That's the magic, isn't it? That's why we all follow football for just those moments that we can't really count on. Uh, can't count on happening, but one day maybe, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, a word on the United States, and before we move <laughs> into Villa, because I know we have we've got a, quite a big American contingent who listen. Um, have they had their Italia ninety when they had that great twenty fourteen World Cup? And uh, it seems like now it's just a disappointing years they're following England in that pattern. Is it now the dry period? No, no. Listen, I think the thing with the USA is, and we, we've heard it, uh, we've heard it spoken about from various different pundits, is that yeah, they've got a lot of players who perhaps were aging, and perhaps some of the younger players are a little bit too young at the moment. But there is a good generation of American players coming out. You know, you still got the likes of Julian Green, DeAndre Yedlin. You still got the likes of, especially Christian Pulisic, and hopefully we will see that team sort of come together in the next few years. I think they need to, they need to get a serious international manager in there. The MLS is good, right? Fair enough, but um, I don't think there's there's a lot to be said about having an MLS manager uh, taking charge of an international side. Jurgen Klinsmann, James, I think he did a good job. Uh, there was a lot of American fans getting on his back, and I didn't understand why. And I think this is what we've seen now. They 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 tried something different. It hasn't worked out. It's fine. Go back to the drawing board. There's plenty of fantastic young USA players out there. Uh, somebody else is going to come and take charge and somebody else will do well with them. The USA have a ridiculous amount of potential and at the end of the day, they're going to be back up at that level. Well, I think our American fans will be really, really happy you said that because they're in a, uh, a meltdown at the moment. As I've, I've seen on Twitter, they're not happy at all. They want change at every level. And yeah, maybe it will come and maybe they'll do better out of it. But I think they'll be really happy you said that let's be to promise. No, I definitely think it is. Look at Paul Lissich, right? As long as he gets to that level that he's expected to, uh, then uh, you know what? Even if they don't have any other good players around, they, they should make it to some sort of decent stage. Not saying it wouldn't happen, but look at Wales with Gareth Bale. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, one player. I mean, Wales aren't exactly a one player um, player team, but when you have Gareth Bale on, on the pitch, anything yeah, can happen, absolutely. can't it? Brilliant. Yeah, um, speaking of Wales... Um, Villa had quite the international clash, didn't they? In the international break, um, it was Wales or Ireland. You know, Villa players involved across both sides, <laughs> but one half misses out. And that's Ireland. Uh, no, it's Wales. Sorry, Wales missed out. Um, they missed Gareth Bale, and uh, Ireland go through to a playoff and hopefully get into the World Cup. That means Conor Hurahan, uh, Glenn Whelan, and others could be heading to the World Cup, and that'd be a, a great thing for Aston Villa fans. And maybe if you're an American fan who doesn't have a a team to ban behind, maybe it can be Ireland. Yeah, you know what? Perhaps it will be. Perhaps it will be. I think it's fantastic seeing Conor Hurahan uh, getting into that international stage. I think he's he's a hidden talent, you know, right? I think I think a Premier League side would wanna would wanna take a risk on a on a player like that. I think he's he's a fantastic midfielder, and it's it's good to see him doing well for the Republic of Ireland. Glenn Whelan is he is he playing for Ireland now as well? Is he still getting picked? Yeah, he's he's still he's still going. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you got that as well. Yeah. Scott Hogan as well. Yes, Scott Hogan's in the international fold for Ireland as well, which is, you know, it's three players. I don't think I'm missing anyone else, but yeah, that's, uh, I mean, potentially you could have three villains. Not to mention Kieran Clark, villain in the past, and Wes Houlihan, who I always note as a villain in another dimension. (laughs) He'd have signed for us at some point. How he has not signed for us is ridiculous. I I don't understand how he has never made it to us. Yeah, because we have been linked with him every summer. When we was in the Premier League, under Lambert especially. But yeah, um, disappointment all round, I guess, if you're a, a villain. Because if you're American, you're missing out. If you're Welsh, you're missing out. So that's a big, big portion of our fan base who are missing out on uh, the World Cup next year, which is quite unfortunate. No, sure. But you know what? Take take, take another side to, to support. 
You know, we, we've experienced it as England fans. We've missed out on uh, international tournaments before. Remember missing out on the Euros? Right, yeah, get behind ahead. another side. Yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it for what it is. You you know, you don't have the disappointment of being crushed in the tournament like we had, you know, when we went out in the group stages. So, yeah, just uh, follow the team, follow the stories, enjoy the World Cup. That's all we can recommend, I guess. Yeah, get behind Panama. Get yeah, behind why them. not? Yeah. Why not, mate? But yeah, let's go on to Villa now. Um, yesterday, we played a very exciting Wolves team. And I hate saying that about a rival, but they were dominant yesterday, Daniel. Dominant. No, but they're beautiful, mate. That that team is absolutely beautiful. And you know what? Do you, do you know why I'm not as unhappy as I would have been last season? What? Paul Lambert's not managing them anymore. <laughs> so yeah. and now that Lambert's out, right, I've got no problem with us losing to Wolves. I said at the start of the game that Wolverhampton Wanderers were the most difficult side that we could play at that time. And you know what? They showed us up. Because as good as Jonathan Kajir and Keenan Davis are, right, when you look at Caballero and Jota up front, no other side in that division can match that dynamism. The sort of strikers that can pick the ball up deep in the opposition area, carry it through and create chances out of nothing. Uh, you know, there's few and far between of them. And at the end of the day, that Wolf side was fantastic. Not to say, uh, not to say I wasn't disappointed with our performance. Hmm. Well, I mean, we had seven shots on goal to Wolves 20. Um, Wolves took advantage of the fact that we didn't have a natural left back. Um, most of their attack through that right side. Mm. Um, did Alan Hutton, or did he live up to your expectations? Was he a failure on the night? You know what? This was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong over here, right? Is Richie Delay injured? Is he, f- is he no, fit? No, I don't think he I think he is fit as far as I right, know if, as of recording. If he's fit, right, there was a simple solution to us not having a left back. Put in Richie Delay. He's played there before. Why are we sticking Alan Hutton in that position? The risk, isn't it? I mean, fair enough, it may have paid off yesterday. Um, Alan Hutton did come up big time across the pitch a number of times. But, um, I mean, that's a weird decision, isn't it? Going, It's a gamble. It absolutely is. I mean, he made one fantastic slide tackle. Uh, early on in the in the first half, uh, I think I think it was Cavallero that that had made it through and and Hutton managed to uh, get in behind the defence almost like he was a sweeper uh, and, and did make a tackle there. But you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to keep him there for the for the full game, it's just not going to work out. And as much as you know, as much as Steve Bruce has, has gone with the wrong formations right at different points in the season, four four two's been working with us. Fantastic, Steve, you finally got it going. If there was ever a game not to play four four two, it's when you don't have a left back. And it's also when the other team can swamp your midfield, right? Because we had two men in midfield who were, you know, fair play to them. They're brave. Glenn Wheel and Connor who ran double pivot. Great stuff. But they were overrun yesterday. Serious. And, you know, it's numbers. It's basic numbers. You, you, when you've got two against four. Wheel and Hurahan are good when you're going to be controlling the game, right? When you know you're going to be going in there and keeping possession, Wheel and Hurahan are, are good. Right, but when you're playing against a side who, let's be totally uh, honest over here, are one of the best sides in the league, perhaps the best side in the league. I mean, I mean, what goes without saying is a team which are miles ahead of us. I'm sorry, but that is the that is the blatant truth. Uh, then you're not really going to be able to to combat them with with Whedon and Huran. It's 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 just that Huran obviously is a good player going forward. Whedon is good. He's a linchpin. Um, he just doesn't have that movement. It perhaps would have been a good a good game to play someone like a like Onoma. Yeah, I mean Onoma come on late, didn't he? But he made an instant impression. There was a lot of energy and dynamism going forward. I mean, Glenn Whelan isn't bad. I mean, we take shots at him on this blog a few times, but that's just because out of the eleven men on the pitch, he's the you know not the worst performer, but he's not the best out of the other ten, is he? Um, but he needs help in that midfield. I mean, as a number with two people, like you said, if. We're dominating play. Hurahan and Whelan are fine. But if we're not, we need three people. We need four people. We could have five. We could stack up midfield. Lansbury, everyone, Onoma. We could have two more midfielders on. I mean, it'll sacrifice other areas of the pitch. But if you're losing the central ground, those front lines, those trenches, you're going to lose the battle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think think with Davis, obviously Keenan Davis as well being up being up top uh he it almost looked as though uh, him and him and Kajir just just could not get the service or or just didn't really 
get an opportunity to, to to do anything without one of them having to drop back deep into midfield and they just looked uncomfortable because of that um and uh, yeah i think this is the thing onoma as well um we, we make the point about him he just scored an absolute worldie on international duty bring him in whilst he's confident uh I mean, that's something that i would have done but it's just one of those things isn't it steve bruce has shown that whilst he has done well over the last few seasons sometimes there's a little bit of tactical naivety and this was this was part of it uh he wanted to play 4-4-2 i think to save his face um but he probably should have gone with something else yeah i mean speaking of youngsters Callum O'Hare come on with 10 minutes to go and he's electric every time he's on the pitch he just dominates it seriously what did you think about his performance yeah totally I, I, it's, it's good to see that injection of of pace and i think that at that point you know being 2-0 down right we weren't going to score two goals uh yeah i mean you can try something different perhaps perhaps you can give it a go but it's, it's good to see o'hare given that run out and i'm i'm glad that steve bruce has, has given him starts in cup games you know it's it's good it's something that we need to be doing especially at this level because what we need to be able to face is the fact that we won't be able to keep a hold of so many experienced quality players if we're going to be slugging it out in the championship for another couple of years. We don't know that we will, but we need to prepare for that possibility. And having players like O'Hare, having people like Davis around the side gives us an opportunity to develop some fantastic young players. I mean, would would you have started him for uh, by any chance? Would you have started him in any in any championship games, James? I think leading up to this point, I think Bruce was right to stick with what he's got. But I think... Yesterday, certainly some people in the team, some certain people made their positions quite rocky and not so stable. So I'd be thinking certainly about starting O'Hare, at least bringing him on at halftime, uh, come that Fulham match, because I think he's someone, he's a game changer. And we don't, you know, we thought we had one in Snodgrass. We think we have one in Kodja. We think we have one in Adoma, but Callum O'Hare is serious. He's a serious Did he talent. drop for him? That's, that's, that's what I can't say. That's hard. That's hard. Yeah, that's a real difficult question because I I would only say drop Kodja because his performance yesterday wasn't he, he should have been sent mm. off within ten minutes. And uh once he's once the problem with Kodja is it's similar to Benteke, so much talent, but once they realise the game is out of their grasp, they're they're not interested. They're they're done with the game. You know, we saw Kodja at sixty, seventy minutes just walking around the pitch whilst Davis and Hogan were sprinting to the midfield line. And it's I understand his role is to lean on that back line, but the game is out of hand at that point. I did notice that. We need to grab it I did notice that there was a a real lack of of, of forward line pressing. And we we should have seen a little bit more of that. I think there was at times, actually, if there was one positive that I I did see under um, Tim Sherwood especially, was there was a lot of that sort of pressing going on. There was a lot of that sort of telling the players to get that ball off the defence as much as they could. Uh, and I, I think, you know, that, that's been an issue with Villa uh, a lot of the time this season. We've let teams just kind of keep passing the ball around the back and we've we've let them just kind of keep that sort of control in the game when really I think what we need is fitter players. We need players who are going to um, keep their defence pressed. And you know what? It's a team thing. It's not about having one guy who can do that. It's a team thing. The whole team needs to get involved. And I think that has always been my only issue with Kodja. But he's just come back from the international break as well. Yeah, I mean, and he, he did have a big injury. We have to give him that. So, uh, but yeah, I think it might be time to just give him maybe one game on the bench. Um, he hasn't really done a great deal. So he had an amazing pass for Adoma to set him up for that goal. I mean, he had scored the penalty as well. He made a lot of he's made a lot of dangerous play, but it wasn't there when we needed it, unfortunately. I think he's may he's maybe a month or so off getting recapturing that full form. We've mm. is it a case of rushing him back, maybe? I don't think we rushed him back. I think obviously we put him back in the side because we needed him. And we we have looked a better side with him in that in that team because as I I know he hasn't scored the goals perhaps but he has shown a lot more creativity he's he's he, he's he's the sort of player that does pick the ball up and bring a little bit more excitement into the side we have created a few more chances with him around uh, I personally think the reason why we've gotten into better form is perhaps um, through the likes of Adoma and Snodras coming in but Kajia has been a bit of a part of that but the thing is. Right, what Scott Hogan gets this sort of treatment of being put on the bench and, and not getting played, it it does poise that question of 
what has Kajir done that, that Scott Hogan hasn't been able to do this season? And I, that, I think this is where the pressure will sort of slightly come in here. Uh, I think you do need to perhaps next game give Hogan that game instead of Kajir. Yeah, I mean, Keenan Davis has earned that spot. He's a every game starter for me at this point. Because not just because, you know, he's a striker, he's very intelligent, he's naturally talented, he knows how to use his strength as well, which is not something not a lot of players know how to do. Kodja doesn't really know how to do it. You know, he's tall, he's quite gangly, but when you come to using your strength, that's something we saw Rudy Justed do very well. And we've seen Keenan Davis do it even better. And uh, so I think Davis, for me, is an every game starter. Do you feel that, Dan? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I like. I, it's interesting you missed. You mentioned Gestede. I've missed Gestede because we haven't had a big man who can uh, use his power like uh, you know uh, in, in the right way. And Keenan Davis is showing that he can. He's he's not incredibly big. He's not as big as say somebody like Gestede. But it's good to see that we've got a powerhouse striker again. And I think he's the kind of striker that players like Kajir, players like Scott Hogan would need to play off. And uh, as you say, mate, look. At the end of the day, Keenan Davis, he's making a he's making a good um, making a good account of himself, but he's scoring goals as well. Uh, he he's been in good form for that. You know, I I don't know how quite how many he scored, but he has been getting on the on the score sheet, and that's more than I can say for Kajir and Hogan. Yeah, it's uh, two goals and two assists, I believe, through nine games, and that's not too shabby considering how deep he's been playing. He's almost been you know a second striker or even an attacking midfielder at times with how deep he's dropped. But he really brings the entire team into play. He galvanises the, the team. And that's not something Kodja does. Kodja is an absolute magician, don't get me wrong. Some of the things he comes out with, absolute magic. But Keenan Davis, he's simple, sensible, practical. And he's working, he's working for the team. And I'm not saying Kodja is this greedy, terrible, selfish player. But sometimes I think he, he knows he can do it. But sometimes you get, you know, you're not going to, you're not Cristiano Ronaldo, are you? There's, there's one Lionel Messi. You're not going to be that type of player. You know what? I think Kajir is incredibly talented. Honestly, I I, I think that Kajir would would per, play perfectly fine in a Premier League team, and he would not look out of place. Right? There are times where he makes the wrong decision, but you have to question whether the players around him are sometimes pulling their weight. There's a lot of the time where Kajir, yes, makes the wrong decision. He gets close to the area, tries to do a couple of skill moves, doesn't quite get it right. But then you need to think about. Perhaps it's the fact that Keenan Davis doesn't quite have that footballing intelligence just yet. Perhaps it's because he's still a bit too young um, to support somebody like Kajir. I think Kajir would do well with with somebody like, um, I don't know, somebody like a Jordan Ayew, for example, who's, who's now gone, right? I think he'd do well with another player who had that sort of dynamism. But I don't think that Kajir can reach his full potential as we are at the moment. Um, and I think it is because we are lacking a little bit of creativity. Yeah, we just need the entire team to work in one direction rather than someone go, right, I need to pull it on my back and win this game for the team. Because, I mean, it's brilliant when you're playing Bolton and it's brilliant when you're playing Nottingham Forest, but when you're playing a team who are emulating Champions League football in Wolverhampton, you're going to get run over and because they're going to shut down your key player and that's game over. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we need to start playing with the idea of, yeah, we've done well with 4-4-2 now, right? I think personally, James, right, 4-4-2, it was good. And it's it, it's good that it's brought us back into a side we've got a little bit more confidence. I think now we need to start thinking about how we can perhaps be a little bit more intelligent with our play. Perhaps have somebody who can cut, who can come off a striker. Somebody who's, um, you know, playing just behind him. I think when Grealish comes back, he might do that job. Conor Hurahan's played in that position as well and done well there. We need to start thinking of a plan B. Having Davis and Kajir up front is not going to work against everybody. Same with having Hogan and Kajir or Hogan and Davis up front. It's not going to work against everybody. And as you say, we need to work as more of a unit. We need to start getting the players linking up with each other. And I think there just needs to be a bit more chemistry over there. Yeah, I mean, 4-4-2 is good. It's basic. It's simple. But we need to add a little bit of spice to it right now, I feel. We need to make our own Aston Villa version. We need, we've got a lot of talent. You know, We've got a lot of like cheekiness in this team. We've got, you know, players like Adomas, Snodgrass and Kodjia up front who are, you know, they're going to make, they're going to make a little bit of a difference occasionally. So play, make the 4-4-2 work for them, those players, I feel. If it needs to be a 4-3-3, that's fine. 
change it around. You don't have to. If we're sticking to the same thing, and this is a basic, basic, this is the simplest football formation. This is football. You know, this is the trademark football formation. Every team knows it. So if you get you get caught out, you have to rely on that individual talent. It's not always going to work. Yeah, and you know what? Against the strong side, right? Sometimes players like Snodgrass and Adoma are absolutely screaming to be pushed up a little bit higher. You know, so, you know, perhaps at some point what we need to do is say, okay, right. I'm not saying play five midfield, a flat five. What I'm saying is perhaps have a, have a game where we've got three midfielders in there. Give Snodgrass and give Adoma that freedom to perhaps cut in a little bit more and perhaps push a little bit further up and perhaps have somebody like Hogan or Kajira up top on their own. Do that risk sometimes. I think that's uh, something that we've seen as of late. Snodgrass and Adoma look held back ever so slightly and I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, and it is difficult because... I think Robert Snodgrass, you can physically see the leash on him almost. Adoma's quite, he'll do his own thing. You know, he will track back to left back. He will go up to striker for whatever reason. It probably pisses Steve Bruce off, but I love it. <laughs> he will he will walk wherever. Snodgrass is disciplined to a fault where you will see the frustration come in from him, his own role holding him back. And we saw that when he, you know, he got booked yesterday, frustrated with his own team for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, Speaking of bookings, yesterday was quite fiery within the first oh, yeah. 15, 20 minutes. Wasn't <laughs> yeah, it? it was. Proper derby, you think? Yeah, proper derby. Yeah, no, definitely. You know what? Right. One thing I find funny about Villa fans, right? I, I think we can laugh about ourselves sometimes, right? All I see on Twitter is, we don't care about West Brom. We don't care about Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, right, mate. The minute that ball kicks off, right? there's going to be that fire and there's going to be that feeling of, I do not want to lose that game. Fans and players alike, and we saw it. And I think what we saw perhaps yesterday was the two most talented... I'm I'm more than happy to say this, right? Uh, what we perhaps saw yesterday was the two most talented sides in the championship, knowing that they had to give it their all straight from the start. At some point or another, right, that fire burnt out for Aston Villa, and I don't know why. But... Uh, it's it's always good to see that passion kind of coming out. The, these players knew what the derby meant, and uh, it, it's good to see that the referee was lenient, actually. And I and I, and I do want to give a positive note for him. Um, he was very lenient in the last in the first few minutes. He wasn't dishing out cards for fun. You know, there was times where players were going down and looking for penalties on an absolute regular. At no point did he end up sort of. Um, crumbling under the pressure. I'm talking about the first half, by the way, um, and I have to commend him for that. Yeah. Yeah, the first half, I think, really good display of refereeing because, I mean, I do think Jonathan Codger should have been sent off, not necessarily for each foul, but for the collection. You know, he got away with a slap on the back mm. of someone's head within three minutes. It was a cl- He brought his arm down quite harsh on someone's head. And then the high boot, you know, that's a foul straight. I was trying to come that's up an indirect free kick at the very for least for it being okay. I mean, part of it was he didn't actually end up um, kicking the guy in the face. The other thing was, was there any way? Was there any other way he could clear it, considering that the other player was backing up into him? Uh, the, the the boot should never be that high, though. Uh, at the end of the day, and uh, yeah, probably should. Yeah, I mean, Conor Hurahan is uh, he got the oh, firstly Alan Hutton. Uh, Seconds into the game, he's off his feet, lunging into a tackle. That's when I thought there's going to be a red card, and I thought he was going to get sent off. <laughs> we was thirty seconds into the game, and he's gone in for a two footer off the air. Luckily, he got the ball. Thank, thank the Lord, he got the ball there. Was that part of desperation? Do you reckon? Was that was that the Villa players coming out and thinking, right? No, this Wolf side are a little bit too good. Uh, they they're making fun of us just a little bit. Was that a little bit of frustration? Do you I think reckon? it's just Alan Hutton being Alan Hutton because he does. Yeah. He genuinely, he's. I don't, wouldn't go to as far as to say he's a dirty player, but he goes out to hurt people because you know we've seen Neil Taylor come twice with that high, those high studs, and it has actually almost ruined someone's career. I go to say Neil Taylor's a dirty player. Alan Hutton, on the other hand, just does Alan Hutton things. He just he he, he never hits people. He never lashes out. But well, he's also he's got a bit of fire in his game, and I think that's why Villa fans love him so much. He's he is a dog shit footballer. Sometimes, sometimes I do have to say he is not the best footballer. But that was it was 
pretty decent from him yesterday. And uh, yeah, that was a bit bit of madness early on, though. I'm so conflicted with him. I'm so, like in my head, I know that Ahmed Al Mahamadi is the better right back, right? On on all fronts, yeah. right? Ahmed Al Mahamadi is the better right back. He's got a better cross on him, and I think positioning wise, he's a better defender. But there's something about Alan Hutton where you really can get behind him when you have got a side who are perhaps trying really, really hard against us or when you've got um, a fancy left winger coming and, and, and trying to trying to get us through their skill. Uh, there's no player like Alan Hutton, I think, um, within, within the rest of our squad that can really sort of grab that game by the scruff of its neck and go, you know what, you're not getting past and we're not going to let you score. You might get a free kick out of it, but I think there's times when Alan, when Alan Hutton is uh, is a very, very positive player like that. The only time where he doesn't necessarily work out is when we're clearly playing against a talented side and he just loses his positioning. And I think that's that's the only reason I don't um, I don't think that he's going to be with us for too long. I mean, he reminds me of a hobbit in the sense that there's no reason for him to be in the fellowship with, you know, the elves and the men and the dwarves and he should not be taking the ring to Mordor. But he's really giving it his all. He's really doing his job, you know what I mean? He's really, he's really trying his best. And you can see that. And it's good. In a match where you see Jonathan Codger kind of walking around, in a match where you see Conor Huron kick out at someone within 10 minutes of the game, and Alan Hutton's there leading by example, it's absolute madness to see that. No, he does give it a good go. I just wish he was a bit more talented. And I, and I wish that his, more of his cross is connected. Uh, I think that I'm just I'm just left frustrated by him sometimes. But what I will say is when we're playing, but when we're playing well and the rest of the the team are doing a good job, uh, yeah, he, he he looks all right like that. But just like the rest of our squad, when um when times are tough, he just t- t- seems to kind of lose all of his ability, and uh, that's the problem with him. Yeah. So Wolves yesterday beat us two 0 We know that. What was the highlight of the game for you? The Villa highlight? The Villa highlight? Oh, yeah, my. have you got one? No, I don't. I thought we were poor. Honestly. <laughs> no, okay. You know what? My, my highlight was, was honestly, it was the Alan Hutton tackle, right? It was it was the Alan Hutton tackle where he, he came back after um, the Wolves player had gone through the the, the whole of our defence and he basically did a little bit of a of a curved run right back into the box and stopped them from scoring. That was before Wolves went in front. I'm telling you right now, James, yesterday's performance reminded me of everything that had gone wrong before we went on that good run at Steve uh, with, with Steve Bruce in charge, um, you know, the, the, the last few games, right? And they reverted right back into the same old nonsense that we saw under Paul Lambert, under Tim Sherwood, under Di Matteo, and for large parts of last season with Steve Bruce. At the heart of it, the problem is with Aston Villa is that we have some fantastic players, some really, really talented players. But you know what? Sometimes they just absolutely forget what to do with that talent. And that's what I saw. You know, there wasn't enough pressing. There wasn't any. There wasn't enough passion or fight trying to get that game back after we went 1-0 down. And you know what? There wasn't enough passion or fight trying to go 1-0 up in the first half. And I was just very, very disappointed with it. We At no point did we try to look like champions in that game. And unfortunately, in the championship... We need to be aiming for first or second place. There's no, uh, there's no coming seventh or coming sixth and and hoping that you sneak in. It's not like that anymore. It's not the Premier League anymore. As Aston Villa, we're supposed to be the best team in the league, and I thought we gave them way too much respect yesterday. Yeah, uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe I've seen more than one person say that we didn't actually spring string more than three passes together at any one time. So yeah, if you can't get the ball around. It was very half We barely we we didn't even try and win it back, did we? We had to wait for the heroics of say Sam Johnston, James Chester, or Alan Hutton. We had to wait for absolute heroics to happen. And when you're relying on those you know, the Micah Richards esque last ditch tackles, you're not gonna win the game. You're in the position of desperation. No, nothing changed, did it? This is the thing. Even when we did go one nil down, nothing really changed. It was just yeah, let's just kind of carry on. It it felt exactly like the start of the season where Bruce seemed like he was happy with the point. And yeah, you know what? I'd have been happy with the point against Wolves too. 
But unfortunately, mate, if you want to be getting points against the, the top teams in the division, you need to be giving it your all. And you need to be taking the game by the scruff of its neck. You are not going to be playing against Wolverhampton Wanderers like that and not expect them to score. And at the heart of it, we just didn't we just didn't create enough opportunities. What was it, seven shots all game? Seven shots all game, and I can't I won't even go on to tell you how many were on target. Yeah, I it's ridiculous. I mean, what was what's even the point of having wide players? You know, Snodgrass and Adoma, um, if we're not even gonna try and utilize that width. You know, there were there was a lot of that as well. There was there's no sort of real intent of trying to exploit any particular area. Um I, do, I it's really hard to analyze when there's nothing to analyze do you, do you know what i'm getting at you know there's yeah yeah i mean all you can say is we had you know we didn't make any tackles we didn't press the ball in groups we didn't pass the ball we didn't do anything except the odd heroics you know that's sam johnson double save excellent but then again he got beat at his near post by Bernatone and uh, those Alan Hutton tackles. No, and the thing That's is, it. yeah, this is it. The thing is, the That's reason it, why yeah. we lost two 0 and not three or four 0 is because, yeah, they're a talented side, but you can only rely on talent to a certain degree. You know, there needs to be some sort of intelligence, some sort of game plan uh, before the match even starts. Uh, I thought, <laughs> I just, I just felt as though in when they were thrown out to play four four two again yesterday. You know, we've already talked about this tactically. It was almost a case of, yeah, just go ahead and do your thing. And I'm sorry, but against the side like Wolverhampton Wanderers, you need to be coming out there with a plan. There was no plan. Yeah, I mean, after all's uh, said and done, Wolves really do look like the real deal, don't they? Yeah, they do. They, they, they really do. And I think it's it's good that they've got a new manager come in. Um, he's given them a system, right? They'll be happy that Paul Lambert's not in charge anymore, right? But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at, the end of the, at the end of the day... Right, they they've got owners who've come in, moneyballed them to some degree. Yes, they've brought in some really really talented players. The fact that they've got somebody like Caballero in that side, and the fact that they managed to pick up Jota as well, I was incredibly surprised with. Uh, that side, there is no reason looking at them that they should not finish in the top two. I don't see a way that that they that they don't finish there. In all in all honesty, and this is a side that were in League One a couple of seasons ago. This is a side that I think put it on a field in the Europa League. It holds its own. Ruben Neves, Halda so. Costa, Cavalera. You've got a team. You've got a team there. Serious talent. Utter. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke how they've managed to compile that team, play so well, build an incredible system. You know, this is, I mean, it's no hyperbole here. That's a serious team, Daniel. Not serious. Absolutely. And you know what? Like, even even looking at some of the players who aren't even foreign, you know, I'm looking at, you know, Barry Douglas, you know, for, you know, a Scottish player who's, he's played abroad, right? He's got, he's got like international experience to some degree, right? And uh, there was even players like Romain Sais as well, who, you know, I've not seen a lot of. I was incredibly uh, impressed with him as well yesterday. That, that wall side is just incredibly well balanced. And, what what we we do a lot of the time i, I feel in uh, punditry in the uk is that we assume that if you bring in a load of players from different countries uh that the side isn't going to balance itself out we we hear that a lot you know this whole idea you bring in english players and they know how to play the english game they know how to handle it in these divisions you know what wolves are basically demonstrating that you bring in a load of talented players right who want to play in the premier league Right, that's 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 why they're there, right? You can really compile a great side, um, and I think more championship sides need to be looking abroad because, I mean, that's what it brings at the end of the day, isn't it? Come play for us in the championship for one or two yeah. seasons, have you in the Premier League? You're going to be a superstar. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's not like they've bought Hotter for the for him just being Hotter. It's not like they've bought Neves just because he's Ruben Neves. They've not bought Cavalero because he's Cavalero. They've bought them because they fit that specific role to a T. You know, the, the, we bought Lansbury and Horahan, and now we aren't using Lansbury at all. You know, we bought, we've bought, who have we bought? We bought fucking so many people just to fit roles. We bought Hogan. You know, we didn't need to buy Scott Hogan at all. He's brilliant. You know, what he did for Brentford was incredible, but we didn't need to buy Scott Hogan. We we didn't even need to buy Bjarnason. Bless him. Bless his little cotton socks. <laughs> we didn't need to buy no. all these players. And if you used to look at Wolves, every single player they've bought, it's a specific dedicated role in that three-four-three three that I've played every day since June. It's, that's how you build a team. I mean, I'm super jealous. I am. I hate to say it, super jealous. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. I think uh, they, they, they've, they've just got exciting players around, haven't they? They, they? This is the thing. We don't necessarily have that. Uh, yeah, we've got some we've got some cool players. We've got some players who have been there and done that. We've got John Terry, right, which yeah. is which is cool. But uh, we, we don't have that excitement level. We don't have that... that what how do i how do i explain this that unknown factor you know that that's the, that's what wolverhampton wanderers have how do you scout a player like bonatini how do you scout a player like jota right what do you tell your player how how do you even set your side up to to compete with that do you, do you know what i mean uh, it's not something that that our players it's not something that teams in the championship are used to seeing day in day out it's not what they see um it, it's not the sort of players that they actually play against on a, on a regular basis and uh you know the sort of players who can pick the ball up from deep the sort of players who like to use a bit of flair uh what we're used to in the championship is is really really doggy football right and uh you know you, you bring in that unknown factor you're gonna you're gonna beat teams with ease yeah i mean as i go back and say like we just bought players for the sake of buying and we bought championship best in horahan lansbury and it's like we just bought people for the sake of buying them. I'll I go I back know. to Wolves. They have, you know, oh, who do we need to fit the wide position? Oh, Halder Costa would be perfect for it. We've just went, who are the best players in the championship? It was very stat happen? attack, wasn't it? But like, I, I don't think that I don't think that all of them yeah. failed. Hurahan was was good. It was it was the right sort of choice to bring in. Perfect, right? Yeah. But you know, I look at it, and if we're buying players that we need, why don't we have a backup left back? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean. When you're looking at, say, oh, let's sign Ak- Ahmed al Mohamedi. Oh, wait, we actually need a left back. Not al mohamedi has been pretty decent so far, but I think you devote those resources to actually the other side of the pitch, realistically. But yeah, I think enough about Wolves now. We are we've gone on for a bit. I think we need to wrap up and uh, sum up this Fulham game. We're going into a big match next week oh, at Villa yeah, Park, we are. aren't we? Fulham are looking a lot better than they have done in recent seasons, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, last season they were flying pretty high. This season had a bit of a stumble, but they look to be getting back to their feet and it could could have come at the worst time for us. No, absolutely. But you know what, right? End of the day, we're going into this game before we go into the Birmingham City game. And unfortunately, mate, we're going to have to handle it. We're going to have to handle a side who are going to come at us and a, a side who have got a, a high amount of momentum. Because I tell you what, Going into the Birmingham City game afterwards, right? Birmingham going to have momentum as well. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a difficult task for us. But at the end of the day, our players are still are still more talented than theirs. You know, we've still got the better squad here. We should still be beating them. And just because we've gone and lost that game to Wolverhampton Wanderers doesn't mean we need to throw everything um, out the window, right? We're still a side who, is it four wins in the last five, right? Yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Not too right? bad. There's, there's no reason Fulham shouldn't be afraid of us at the end of the day. Because as long as Villa turn it on and do what they're um, expected to, then it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I guess it's just a case of uh, putting on the big boy trousers for Aston Villa and not licking their wounds too much. I think there's certain players who should definitely think be thinking heavily about how they performed in that game. If Sam Johnston got beat, he's near post. He needs to be. He's not a young goalkeeper anymore. He's been in a few games. He's been in a few scraps. You know, near post shouldn't be beat there. Connor Hurahan shouldn't be kicking out at players ten minutes into the game. Jonathan Codger needs to do so much more if he's going to lead the line. Yeah, if those if they can learn from their mistakes and get gear up for that Fulham game, mate, players, get back on track. Right in time for the drop, derby. Mate. This is a, this. I genuinely believe that. Right, there, there are going to be some players who we, we've seen playing in our good run of form who aren't going to play in the next game. That's what I'm wondering about. That that's you know what's uh, really kind of keeping me kind of interested. I mean, uh, Fulham they 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 they're good at scoring goals, right? They're capable of scoring goals, and we're gonna have to put up with a serious side. I, I don't know if you saw what happened at the Preston game, but they were two 0 down at half time, still managed to come back with a draw at two two, and I think that is uh, the sort of side that we are always going to struggle against. Any side that's gonna come at us, uh, we, we we seem to see uh, we seem to sort of trip up against we seem to kind of get scared of and um yeah we got we need to watch out for for Kearney and Fonte next game basically that's all I'm gonna say yeah so any predictions for uh we'll finish off on predictions any predictions for the next game against Fulham um, next Saturday yeah all right so I think what we're gonna see from Fulham is a side that are gonna want to 
dominate in midfield. They're likely going to be playing three in midfield, and uh, you know uh, they they've got a lot of width from their fullbacks as well, who are incredibly talented. Ryan Sellers, uh, Sessegnon, and of course Fredericks. Um, we're going to struggle at keeping the ball because it's something that we've seen um recently even in the games that even in the games that we that we do when we we tend to kind of wait until we can spring some sort of a counter attack wait until we can get the ball out wide uh and obviously uh just take our chances whenever they do come to us but i do think that this is going to be a tough game i'm going to go with a one all draw uh personally i think coming out of this wolverhampton wanderers game a lot of the players um confidence is going to be hurt and if we're going to be playing against the side like fulham who uh, you know, are going to want to try and control the play, but not necessarily come at us too much. Uh, we will struggle, but I'm going to go one-one. Um, if I was to say who one of the one of the sides has to win, um, I would say that we're most likely favourites here. I would like to see somebody like a Callum O'Hare come in. You know, maybe throw Scott Hogan back into the mix. Either way, one of Kajir or Davis needs to get dropped next game. Uh, because we can't let them get comfortable up there, mate. Yeah, um, if you're, we're just settling now. I think that Wolves match was a case of settling. We need to change things up just slightly, just tune things up, add that little bit of Villa spice, and maybe we'll come out on top, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we need to have that plan B. There's there's no point going in there, throwing the same players out there every now and then. You know what? This isn't the 1990s anymore, right? What The, the reason I'm saying that is that every team out there, right, every decent team anyway, right, has got somebody who's watching the stats, right, they've got somebody who's who's looking at, uh, looking at different players and looking at how they work, guess what, if you line out with the same team every single week, someone's going to figure you out, right, throw in that unpredictability again, you know, put Hogan up there, maybe even throw O'Hare in there, I know even though we, we, we talked about how uh, perhaps you can't sort of see who you can take out for it, You've got to spring a few surprises every now and then. You cannot become predictable. And I think that's what we saw from the Wolves game. We got a bit too predictable from that. And we can't make that mistake again. Completely agree, mate. Well, it's been brilliant having you on, mate. Thank you very much for coming on. Where can people find you on Twitter, on your work? Oh, cheers, James. It's been fantastic uh, being on here. It's good fun speaking about Villa for a very long time. Uh, I am on Twitter at DHRaza. Um, everything is on there. I do have a blog. I'm trying to keep it updated as uh, as regular as I can. That's danielraza.wordpress.com. But yeah, um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's the best place to to find me, at dhraza, D-H-R-A-Z-A, and I will follow you back. It's been brilliant having you on, mate. So that's for me, James Russian and Daniel Raza. You can find me at Jamo Russian on Twitter. You can find us at 7500 Toll on all types of podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts and all that. So yeah, we'll catch you later. Thank you very much. See ya.